turn to 1 John this morning. Uh, we continue in our series that we've entitled Living uh, in the Light. And uh, uh, we find ourselves in chapter 2, uh, verses 7 through 11 this morning. And uh, just as a, uh, a quick um, note, we are going to be reviewing numerous times. John has a way of repeating himself. Uh, many commentators believe John was in his 90s uh, when he wrote the uh, letter of 1 John. And uh, many of you know, as you advance in years, you start repeating things. Now, I don't want to go too far with that because we know that this book was inspired by the Holy Spirit and it was written for a purpose. And John is going to uh, repeat themes throughout. And so uh, you may say, Tim, uh, on this subject of love that we're going to talk about today, you didn't address all of the issues. And that's by um, choice and by um, a decision that I've made because I want to leave some other things that we're going to address uh, two more times on the subject of love later on in the series. But I want to give a highlight to, to a couple things. Uh, we've been in this series for seven weeks and uh, about a quarter of the way through uh, this series and uh, this whole first uh, chapter and a half of First John is focused on maintaining fellowship with our Lord. It's talked about that our fellowship with God is contingent on walking in the light in First John uh, 1, 5 through 7. It, it needs to be involving confession of our sins in verses 8 through 10. It involves trusting our advocate in chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. And then it talks about that uh, the whole basis of our fellowship and the validity of that fellowship uh, is seen in our keeping of His commands and obeying what He has said. And then, in fact, it is walking as Jesus did. This is what it means to walk in the light. And yet, within regards to all those things, it seems to be a reminder again and again that we are to follow Christ's ways. And we're going to see how in one particular way this morning, John has called us to know Jesus and to live like Him. Now, having stressed the importance of keeping His commands and exhorting us to live like Jesus, he focuses on one thing today. And it's something you've heard before. As I was uh, thinking this through this week, I, I remember the book that was written, All That I Ever Needed to Know I Learned in Kindergarten. Uh, now the book was written by Robert Fulgham, and uh, in this book he says the things that we need to know as adults, as people in society, we learned in uh, kindergarten. Things like sharing everything, playing fair, not hitting people, Putting things back where we found them. Cleaning up our own messes. Not taking things that are not ours. Saying sorry when we hurt somebody. Washing your hands before you eat. Flushing the toilet when you're done. Warm cookies and cold milk are always something good for you. You're called to live a balanced life. You're to learn some things, think about some things, draw and paint some things, sing and dance, play and have work every day. To take a nap every afternoon is good for the heart and the soul. When you go out in the world, watch out for traffic. Hold hands and stick together. As kindergartners, you're taught to be aware of wonder. To see the little things. He says, remember the little seed in the styrofoam cup? That little seed that the roots go down and the plant goes up and nobody really knows how or why, but we really like watching it take place. And then who can forget the goldfish and the hamsters and the little white mice that are just like that little seed in the styrofoam cup 
They grow. We watch them. We see them live. And then they die. Just as everything does in this world. Now everything you need to know you learned in kindergarten. You take any one of those things and the whole purpose of the book, which was a bestseller uh, for two years, uh, teaches us that what we learned, those golden rules, if you will, in kindergarten uh, span society. All of the difficult decisions we have to make, if we would just follow those rules, he goes on to say in this, everything you need to know is in here somewhere. The golden rule, love, basic sanitation, ecology, politics, equality, and sane living. All of this we learned in kindergarten. Take them, uh, each, each one of them, and extrapolate them into the sophisticated adult terms and apply them to your family life or your work or government or your world, and it holds true and clear and firm. What a better place we would live in. What a better world it would be if we all treated each other and all treated the world around us like we were told to in kindergarten. How true is that? Simple things that we've learned. Now you say, Tim, why would you bring all of that up today in talking about First John? The reason why is John is going to go very elementary with us today. He's going to say this following Jesus, this walking after Jesus, following His commands, doing what He's called us to do, it can be easy. It can be simple. Let me rephrase that. It's not that it's easy, but it's simple. It's not profound. It's something that a kindergartner can know, but yet so many times because of uh, the, the issues of our world and the complexities that we make our world out to have, we miss out on the simplicity of this command. I want us to look at First uh, John chapter 2, and I want you to stand as we look at this incredible passage of Scripture. First John chapter 2, and I'm going to start in chapter th- uh, uh, verse 3 to give us a context. And then we will uh, get into our message this morning. We know that we have come to know Him if we obey His commands. The man who says, I know Him, but uh, but does not do what He commands is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But if anyone obeys His word, God's love is truly made complete in him. This is how we know we are in Him. Whoever claims to live in Him must walk as Jesus did. Now here's our text for the morning. Dear friends, I'm not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you have had since the beginning. This old command is the message you have heard, yet I am writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in Him and you, because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother is still in the darkness. Whoever loves his brother lives in the light and there is nothing in him to make him stumble. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. He does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded him. Father God, uh, we have sung about you. We have prayed prayers to you. We have heard of acts of service that have been done in your name. But Lord, we recognize, as 1 Corinthians reminds us, if any of these things are not done with love, They're nothing. And so, Lord, I pray that as a church, as a people that are set apart for your purposes, that we would be people of love. How can we say that we live in your light if we hate our brother? 
Father, open our eyes, open our hearts to know the ways that we have not shown your love uh, to those closest to us, to those that are sitting next to us, to those that are very difficult to love in our workplaces and in our neighborhoods and in our lives. So, Father, we need your strength and we need your example to live a life of love because it is there that you change the world. It is there that we see uh, people around us impacted with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, Father, be with me as I proclaim your word this morning. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. John tells us in our text that what he's going to teach us, we learned in the beginning. We learned in the beginning. That's a big reason why I gave you that opening illustration in regards to kindergarten. This is something we've known. What he is going to articulate to us is something that we are aware of. And yet, being simple, it is something that if it's lived out in a proper way through the power of the Holy Spirit, can change the world for Jesus Christ. It is something that happened from the beginning. Now, it doesn't say, look at your text, it doesn't say uh, that uh, this is something in verse uh, 7. It's been from the beginning, but we don't know what the beginning is from. Most commentators believe this is the beginning of your Christian life. When, when people came to know Christ, what they should have heard, what was going to be proclaimed to them was God is love, and that we are to love one another. Now, the reason why this was brought up is because John is a disciple of Jesus. And he had seen Jesus talk about loving one another. In fact, in uh, the Gospel of John, John records the verse that he says, you ought to love one another and that the world will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And so when John talks about living in the light, walking as Jesus walked... There's no reason why he would ever leave out this idea of loving. Now, nowhere in the text does it say that the issue is love. The only time it ever addresses the word love is at the end of our passage in verse 10. So how do we know that this new command is to love one another, is to love as Jesus did? To get that point, we have to look at chapter 3, verse 11. Look at First John chapter 3 verse 11 and you're going to see some things uh, that will uh, will go back and point back to our text this is the message you have heard from the beginning what is the message john we should love one another now notice what he says uh, turn another whole page over to your right to second john second john verse 5 this is the second letter that john writes And in verse 5, he says, And now, dear lady, I am not writing you a new command, but one we had from the beginning. I ask that we love one another. Now notice what he says in verse 6. It's almost like he's highlighting what we've gone through already. And this is love, that we walk in obedience to his commands. As you have heard from the beginning, his command is that you walk in love. What John is doing is he is saying all the commands, all the precepts and directives that Jesus Christ has given us can be summed up in one word. And that word is love. If we get the love thing down, this is the love test. We learned about the moral test last week. Next week we'll learn about the doctrinal test. But within it, the meat, if you will, of those three tests 
is the love test. If we have no love, as Paul said, and as I've already articulated, then we have nothing. And what John is trying to get across is, you want to nail down this walking in the light? You want to nail down walking as Jesus did? Then you love as Jesus loved. In fact, he's going to use this word love almost four dozen times in five chapters of this letter. It's an amazing amount. Now people say, I remember when I was putting together the the series and, and someone said, well, why would you not talk about love as your title? Shouldn't love be a part of the title? And what it is is that really the title, the reason why this book is written is that we will know that we are living in the light. The way that we know we are living in the light is if we love one another. That's it. That's the ball game. That's all of it wrapped up. All of the things that he's going to tell us can be summed up in us loving one another. Love exudes from this letter. Notice at the beginning of our text this morning, it says, dear friends in the NIV. Now, we use the NIV and there are times where I I, I disagree with the translation and this is one of them because I think it fails to give us the real sense of what John is saying. Uh, The word here is agapato, which means dear loved ones. Now there's a difference in, in the English, to me, of my friends and my loved ones. And what John isn't saying is, hey, my, my acquaintances, my Facebook friends, here's what I have to say to you. He is saying, my dear loved ones. That's what he's wanting to address. He, he is the apostle of love. He was the one that it said that Jesus loved, the apostle that Jesus loved. This guy understood and knew what love was all about. Polycarp, a church father, the uh, student of John himself, who uh, was born probably around 60 uh, A.D., about 25 years after Jesus Christ died and and went to heaven, said this in one of his uh, writings. He said that the apostle uh, insisted all the time uh, after his exile to Patmos uh, to return to Ephesus. And unlike all the other disciples, John would live to be an old man and die a natural death. And his desire was to always be with his congregation as a loving pastor in the city of Ephesus, to be there for every meeting they had together. Polycarp would tell us that he was too old to walk. Too weak to preach. Remember, John would be in his late 90s, uh, the uh, commentators believe, before he would die. Now, 90s is an old age for us in the 21st century, but think about in the first century, this man was old. Too, Too weak to be able to preach and to walk. The people, the men of the church would carry him into the services at Ephesus. Unable to preach, he had to content himself with but a sermon in a sentence. Polycarp said, the one sentence message that he constantly and continually shared with the Christians at Ephesus, he would say to them in a quiet voice, my little children love one another. My little children love one another. It was on one occasion that someone asked, but Master John, why do you always say the same thing? John's reply was because it is the Lord's command that we love one another. We love one another. This is kindergarten stuff. This is easy for us to understand. It is hard for us to live. A sentence sermon. We should love one another. But we don't. We look at the world, we watch the news, and we see a world that struggles to love one another. But you know what? 
as believers, what an opportunity we have. The Bible says that people will know that we are with Jesus if we love one another, if we love the world around us. We saw some of that. And we want to be able to be a part of the impact uh, that takes place by people receiving food. They might not even know that it came from a church. Uh, but I know that the community around us saw that. Yesterday we had the, the mayor of Sugar Grove here. And he is just incredibly impressed that we would be willing to open our doors and do this. He says, you guys really do love the world around you. So praise God. Praise God that people can see that we have a love, not just to do what we need to do for ourselves, not just to take care of our needs, but to love those around us. It's the only way we'll change this world for Jesus Christ. I think of the Moverian missionaries who went to Greenland. And for the first year and a half, they were unable to make any impression whatsoever to the people around them. And then came the awful epidemic of smallpox in which multitudes were afflicted. And the missionaries went about among them, ministering to them, taking care of their bodies and their illnesses in the Master's name. And it was after that great epidemic had passed that the people, the unbelievers, came to them and said, You have nursed us in our sickness. You have cared for us in our distress. You have buried our dead. Now tell us about your Jesus. Boy, if we would stop using words to talk about how great Jesus is and love as Jesus loved, people would see something different about us. This is it. It's simple. So I want to look at this idea, this simple command we've been given to love one another. And the first thing I want us to look at is the law of love. The law of love. And let me ask, Tim, why do you use the word law? Isn't love to be free? Isn't love to be something that uh, is not a command, uh, but it's something that we just should have as an emotion in our lives? And I will contend against that. Notice what the text says uh, in verses 7 through uh, 9. Four times in the text you see the word command. I'm writing you a new command. The old command which you have heard. I'm writing you a new command. And so there are four different occasions that take place where he uses this word command. Now that's a very important thing for us to understand this morning. Love is not a feeling. Love is not an emotion. Love is a choice. Now you say, but Tim, I I, I fell in love with my spouse and now I'm falling out of love with my spouse. You're not falling in in love uh, with your spouse. You're falling in uh, out of love and in with love with a command. You're willing, you're saying, I'm unwilling to live out the command to love one another. It's an area of obedience. Whether I want to love my wife or my children or you as a people... Uh, is not my uh, right to say, well, but they're not making me feel that love, so I'm not going to love them. Uh, God says, I give you a command. It's an old command. It's a command, Tim, you've heard from the beginning. Love one another. When it comes to our spouses, uh, husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church. There's no in-between ground. It doesn't say uh, if uh, she does a good job with the house or, or takes care of the kids in a, in a noteworthy way. You are to love them. It is a command that we are given. Now, I do tell women that you're not commanded to love your husbands. You just have to submit to them, not love them. But men, we have to love our wives. It's, it's a choice. It's a choice to love. Now, this was a law that was established 
in the past. Write that down in your outlines. He says, dear friends, I'm not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you have had since the beginning. This old command is the message you have heard. What does he mean by this? Well, it's a command that was established in the past. What does it mean by old? That we have learned from the beginning. One must go to the Old Testament to understand what he means. Man has long been called to love. This wasn't something new that Jesus had created or Jesus had started in his earthly ministry. Of course, it was nothing that John had started, but it was something that God had shared with his people. Turn in your Bibles uh, to the book of Deuteronomy chapter 6. The fifth book of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. In the book of Deuteronomy, we have what we call, what Jewish people call the Shema. And in the Shema is, is kind of a response to all the decrees and commands that God has given. And this is what, uh, what, uh, Moses articulates to the people, kind of the sum total uh, of the law and its directives. And this is what he says, starting in verse three. Hear, O Israel, and be careful that, so that it may go well with you, that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your fathers promised you. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Now notice what he says. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. The first thing that we need to do, the sum total of all of these laws that the law of Moses had laid forth was that we were to love God. The first way we to love, write this down somewhere, is to love vertically. We are called to love God. That's what Deuteronomy chapter 6 says. The first thing that we should do, the first thing that when we get up in the morning, our natural response should be, Lord, how do I love you today? In what ways can I love you? How can I show that you are my God and I am your person or people? How do I do that? But we're not just called to love vertically. Some people think that they all they have to do is have this relationship with God. And that was what the Gnostics of 1 John were saying. Hey, we've got this special relationship with God. Who cares about you, my fellow man? I'm more concerned about my relationship with God. But notice the scripture doesn't just say love the Lord God. It says that we are to love one another. Turn uh, back a couple books to the book of Leviticus. Leviticus chapter 19. So from Deuteronomy, you go through the book of Numbers and then Leviticus. And in Leviticus 19, verse 1. Let's see here. I wrote down the wrong text, so someone help me out here. Um, I wrote down the wrong one. It says somewhere in Leviticus 19. I'm looking at verse 11 says it. It doesn't say it there. Uh... Well, this is your assignment for this week. Leviticus 19, we are to love our neighbors as ourselves. Someone look that up and help me out and help the congregation out. Al Gonerman's here. He'll look that up for me. Leviticus, what's that? 1918. Thank you. I left out the eight. Okay, that's what happens when you type with one eye. Leviticus 1918. Uh, let's see here. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against one of your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So God isn't just saying, you got to love me, 
But the response of loving Him, loving vertically, is that our response horizontally will be that we will love one another. And so we see this is established through the text. This idea of God saying to us that our whole relationship with Him, our whole ongoing life with Him is wrapped up in love. Now you say, well, how is that the case? I want you to think about this for a moment. Love for God uh, was dismissed when Adam chose to follow his wife and to please his wife instead of pleasing his God. And because of that, uh, the fall took place in the garden. A generation after that, just one generation takes place. And instead of Cain loving his God and giving a sacrifice that would be worthy of his relationship with God, he hates his brother and he kills him. Understand this, my friends, when our relationship of love vertically is not good, our relation horizontally will not go well. Husbands, when you don't have a good relationship with God, you are going to struggle in your relationship with your wife and your children. Person that uh, is an employee, if you don't have a good foundation with your relationship with God, you will hate your boss. You will hate the individual who cuts you off on the freeway. Because if we don't have a right relationship with God, we will never, please hear me, ever have a right relationship with those that are around us. We see example after example of missing out on our call to love God, how it has broken our relationships with man. And yet God loved us. And that's the amazing story of the Old Testament. Instead of loving God as we were supposed to, God loved us. And while we pursued other things, God was faithful. Think about this. God showed his love to Adam and Eve. Delivering them uh, from uh, the the garden was one of the most gracious things he could have done. Because they would have lived in separation from God forever. And as a result of that, God removes them from the garden. And he allows them uh, to be redeemed. He gives them clothing to wear. And we see within that the blood of an animal beginning the prototype, if you will, of the redemption and the lamb that would be slain that was going to come. We see it when God is angered with the sin and and, uh, divisiveness of the people in Noah's day. And yet instead of destroying all the world, we are here today because God saw, had favor with Noah. And that because of that, he redeemed a people unto himself. We see that with the choosing of Abraham. And we could go on and on. The delivering of the people from Pharaoh, the taking them into the promised land, uh, the delivering them from captivity. But the greatest place that we see love in our lack of love is in the story of Hosea. Hosea is a prophet of God who is married to a prostitute named Gomer. And the story of uh, Hosea and Gomer is that Gomer goes off, his wife goes off all the time and is sleeping around with other men. And Hosea goes and he gets his wife and he takes him back to her, takes her back to himself and cleans her up and, and presents her again as his wife. And the whole uh, type that you see there is that we are the adulterous people and God is the faithful husband who loves and loves and loves even though we don't love God. And so we need to understand that if we want to walk in the light, we cannot fall prey to what the Old Testament people did of not loving God and as a result of that, not loving our fellow man, but pursuing that faithful, loving God and living for Him. Now notice that this is addressed in the Old Testament. It's established in the past, but in our text it says that it's elevated in the present. It's elevated in the present. 
Now, now look at what John says in uh, verse 8 of our text this morning. First John, back to First John chapter 2, verse 8. Yet I am writing you a new command. Now wait a minute. John, are you getting senile? What you've just said is that this is an old command. This is something that was we heard about from the beginning. But now you say it's new. How can that be? Well, the Greek word there for new is the Greek word kainos. And kainos doesn't mean new in time, but new in perspective and freshness. And so what we see is that there is this new, uh, not a new command that's given, but a new perspective to that command. Of course, he's no doubt taking John 13 verses 34 and 35 that we are to love one another and that the world will know that we love or that we are Christians if we love one another. And John addresses this and he says, this is the new old commandment. But what makes it fresh? First John doesn't say. It doesn't say what makes this uh, new commandment fresh and real. But I want to give you four things. I want you to write these down quickly uh, that add a new and fresh perspective to this old command that we love. The first thing is, is the example that is given to us. The example. Now, while throughout the Old Testament we see God loving His people, it is not until the day in Bethlehem where Jesus Christ incarnate comes in the flesh and lives among us that we see love personified. That we see love. Remember, God is love. How do we know that? How do we recognize that? How do we understand that? It's hard for us in the finite mind to understand the infinite. But when Jesus came and became one of us, we saw love. We experienced love. We saw it in a perspective that we could understand. And because of that, because of that example, we now know what love looks like. How it lives itself out. We have a flesh and blood example of how we are to love. Now notice, Jesus showed love when it was easy. He showed love when it was hard. He showed love, meant, it meant to be selfless. He showed us love meant sacrifice. He meant love meant treating others how you would like to be treated. He told us that love is a choice that we must make every day. That love won't change people's hearts that in some way they'll love you in return. In fact, in Christ we see a life of love, a love that you and I have experienced as individuals. And so there's an example that is given. John is saying, you know this love. Notice what he says uh, in verse 8. I'm writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him. Not John. Not one of the other people in the congregation but Jesus Christ. This Jesus that in chapter 1 he had touched, he had seen, he had heard. This Jesus who had shown him what love looked like. We see the perfect example. Notice there's an emphasis. Within the teaching of Christ and the New Testament writers, we see that love goes to a whole new level. When it comes to our love in our text today, of all the commands in verse 3, notice what he says. We know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. It's a generic understanding of all the things that Jesus has commanded us to live out and do. But of all of those, John says there is one that we need to emphasize more than every other one, and it's love. This is what I love about what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. You've probably heard it at many a weddings. But 1 Corinthians chapter 13 says the following at the end of this great chapter. And now these three, these three things remain. Faith, hope, and love. 
but the greatest of these is love. And so what happens from the Old Testament to the New Testament times is that there's this elevation or emphasis given uh, to love. Notice the extent. When Jesus brought this to a new command, it was an old command, but his extent was far greater. When we heard the Shema, a Jewish individual would think, I'm to love my family. I am to love my fellow Orthodox Jew as myself. That's easy. But when Jesus came into this world, he loved tax collectors and sinners. He dined with them. He ministered to them. He spent time with friends and enemies, Jews and Gentiles, adults and children. His love was shown to the rich and to the poor, to the healthy and to the sick. It was to all. In fact, in Luke chapter 10, because we want to legitimize our love that we have for our neighbors, Jesus shares the great parable of the Good Samaritan, a hated person within the Jewish world and culture, but he is the one that shows love to a neighbor that he never even lived by. Jesus extends it out to its lengths and depths of what love is to look like. Notice the final thing is experience. While we see love in Old Testament times, it wasn't until Jesus came into the world that we would experience the pinnacle of God's love for us. Romans 5.8, it was God demonstrating his love for us in this, that Christ came to die while we were still sinners. And we can experience that. We can be a part of it. It is because of this love that the world may know love. It is because of this love that we can show the world the very attribute of God in our personal lives. It is through this experience of love that we know we are Christians. The love that John is speaking about in verse 8, this love in the world that's in the world, it's because of Jesus. Now notice what he says. It's an amazing thought in 1 John. He says in verse 8 something that is of great importance. He says, yet I'm writing this, uh, writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and you. I'll get to the you in a moment. Because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. I think the amazing thing is when Jesus came into the world, the light, remember God is light, in him there is no darkness at all and Jesus is the uh, exact representation. He is the radiance of God the Father. And as a result of that, when Jesus came into the world and started to show love, the light began to shine. And this beam of light that Christ shined into this world of darkness was that of love because he came to seek and to save that which was lost. And he says, because of that, the darkness is passing away. Let me tell you something. You want to light up your world? You light it up with the love of Christ. Not with all the doctrine, not with all uh, the, the Christianese terminology that we can use in our conversations. We show the world love and we will light up our communities, our churches, and our workplaces because of the love of Jesus Christ. The darkness is passing and the true light is already shining it is through that experience that we can change this world for Christ. Now notice the second thing, the life of love. Let's go back to the beginning of the sermon. I'm not going back there, but just for a moment. This love that I've just told you about, we are to live in it. Notice what he says. This truth is seen in him, in Christ, and seen in you. We are called to live a life of love. But what does it require? What does the life of love require? To love like this, we have to go back to verse 6. Whoever claims to live in Him must walk as Jesus did. That's not easy. 
It's not easy to love one another. When someone cuts you off uh, on the uh, thoroughfare, it's not easy to love as Jesus did. When someone uh, does you wrong or harms you, it is not easy to love. But this is what Jesus requires. When it comes to our love with God, we must live as Jesus did. And so as he loved the Father, he obeyed him. He trusted the Father. He served the Father. He gloried in the Father. He was committed to the Father. He gave, gave sacrificially to the Father. He was in ongoing communication with the Father. And he would lay down his life for his Father. That was the love relationship that Jesus Christ had with his Father. And John says we are to walk like him. Are you living the life of love that is required of you when it comes to your vertical relationship with Jesus Christ? Are you living that way? How about our relationship with others? How are we to live as Jesus did? Are we able to forgive those who hurt us or offend us? Are we able to take care of those who are hurting? Are we able to serve those around us? Are we able to speak the truth in love? Are we quick not to judge? Are we living by the golden rule? Are we living the life that is required of us, the life of love that Paul again addresses? Let me read it very quickly in 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient. Are you patient? It's kind. Can kindness be an attribute that you see and hear from people when they look at your life? It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It's not rude. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Can, can we say that in our marriages today? Can we say that with our relationship with our children? Can we say there's no record of wrong when it comes to um, uh, our relationship with people? That's the kind of love that we, we, we're being required. It says that <clears throat> love does not delight in evil. Boy, but sometimes evil is fun. Sometimes getting that person back really brings a solace to our souls. But he says it rejoices in the truth. It always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. It always perseveres. Love, he says, never fails. Are you living that out in your life? Simple message to preach. It, sometimes it feels impossible to live. But we are called to love God. And out of that love for God, we are called to love one another. What does it reveal? What does it reveal? John goes back to this idea of fellowship with Christ, of living in light and living in darkness. Notice what he says in verse 9. He says, anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother is still in the darkness. Whoever loves his brother lives in the light, and there is nothing in him to make him stumble. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. He does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded him. Now I'm going to address this later on in the text uh, as we get to chapter 3 especially. But I want to address this. If you are living in, in a life of hatred, before I even go there, John establishes two things. He says either you love your brother or you hate your brother. Now what John isn't talking about is your relationship when it comes to your family. What he's talking about is your relationship with all the people involved in humanity. Do you love the people around you? And there's a difference 
Either you love them or you hate them. It's like living in light and darkness. John is all about contrast. John is all about uh, polarizing terminology. There's no in-between in light and darkness. There's no in-between between love and hate. You say, well, I don't love them, but I, I don't hate them. Baloney. You either love them or you hate them, is what John is addressing. And what it reveals is, if we don't have love for our brothers and sisters in Christ, then the Bible says, John tells us, that we're living in darkness. Those are hard words. And that's why John says we ought to love one another. We have to, ought to love one another as Christ loved us, he says in chapter 4. That we should be living out as God is loved, living out in 1 John 4, 7 and 8, that we ought to be loving one another throughout life, no matter who they are, how difficult they are to live with. Because if we don't, we reveal to the world that we live in darkness. We cause, we can cause people to stumble. The negative thing he says is that when we live in light, there is no stumbling in us. Commentators believe that this is our own conscience, that we're not stumbling with who we are. We're not offending one another, but we're living in purity of that love. The other thing that is brought up is that when we live with hatred, we're blinded and we're ignorant of where we're going. The best place to see that is in the story of Cain. Remember, Cain is thinking about killing his brother and hatred is growing. And what does God come to Cain and say? He says, beware, sin is crouching uh, around you. Be careful because if you don't deal with it, it will master you. And that's what it did. And what happened is, is out of hatred, out of hatred, he does something that revolutionizes, uh, or better terminology, changes his life uh, involving something that he does out of anger. Notice this that you have to think about what you're going to do when it comes to love, but when it comes to an act of hatred, you don't have to think about it. You ever think about the hurtful thing that you say to your kids or your spouse or, or to someone? But when it comes to sitting down and writing a card, you really got to think about how to say things of love. Why? Because we're ignorant to where we're going when it comes to hatred. We'll address that later in the text. But the whole thing is, is can we live a life of love? I want you to understand something, and I've got a very short third point this morning, so don't be nervous. But this life of love will change the way we view our Christian walk. It'll change the way we view our marriage. It will change the way, if you go in thinking, how can I love the people at work tomorrow? It will change the way you work with people. It will change the way that you interact with your neighbor. Now you say, well, I don't hate my neighbor, but you know what? Do you love them? Do you love them to the point that you will commit yourself to involving yourself in their life? Involving yourself by doing acts of kindness to them. It's amazing what people see when you just live a life of love. Amanda was at uh, a shower yesterday and there was a woman not from our church that I'm, I'm involved with um, uh, her son. And, and I don't do much. I do just some, some short counseling. We talk every week for about 10 or 15 minutes. And she comes up, and I wouldn't think that it's anything big. It's one of the things that we do as pastors is we counsel people. And she came in, and she just in tears told Amanda, your, your, your husband's work has helped save my son's marriage, and it saved his life. Whoa. I'm just helping counsel. But it's amazing when we do things out of love. Now, it's hard sometimes when I get a phone call from this guy, and, and, and my work is going crazy, and people are asking questions. And, and I've dedicated myself that I want to help this guy, and yet I never recognized the impact that God was having in his life because I was willing to live a life of love. 
We can change the world if we would love one another. We would change the world. In the world where Islamic fundamentalism is showing us how to kill and how to destroy, what a message it would be to our Islamic friends and neighbors to show a life of love when it comes to Christianity. Finally, we see the only way we can do it is through the Lord of love. I would be remiss not to tell you that we can't live this life of love without Jesus Christ. If you desire to love God and others, we've got to look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. We have to look at Him. Now John doesn't talk about it here. He'll address it later in the book. But what a picture of love. It is through Jesus Christ that He exemplifies real love to the world. He exemplifies real love to the world. John says later in his letter, he says in John chapter 3, verse 16, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down His life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. How do we know what love is? We know what love is because Jesus has exemplified that real love to us. He's shown us the example. Now live as Jesus did, John tells us. How do we live as Jesus did? John tells us in verse 16, lay down your life for your brothers. Village Bible Church, can we say that we're doing that in our personal lives? Can we say that we're doing that within our fellowship? That we're laying down our lives for our brothers. It is then and only then that we will know the Lord of love. Some of you this morning need to meet the Lord of love for the first time. You've lived in a world of hatred. You've lived in the dog-eat-dog world. And I want to introduce you to a man who is God. And his name is Jesus Christ, who came, who left every comfort in heaven so that he could show you love by dying on the cross and taking away your sins. Have you met the Lord of love? He exemplifies it. Next, he empowers his children to love reminds us in verse 8, this truth is in us. It is seen in Him and you, He says. And we need to be reminded that this question, how do we love? It's not that we have to concoct some sort of formula, but if we call ourselves children of God, if we live in the light, then the Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 says that love is one of those fruits. It's the first that is given. We can love because the Spirit empowers us to live that way. We can love those around us, not because we want to, not because it's innate within us, not because it's just a command, but because of the Spirit that works within us. I want you to close your Bibles, and I want you to understand this is not just a command of God, but it's an intentional mission of this church. We say that we want to love Jesus to the point of transformation. We want to love each other to the point of sacrifice. And we want to love our neighbors to the point of action. And we're not doing it. Oh, we're doing it. I mean, we just made up 50,000 meals because we love the people of Haiti. Yes, we're doing it in some ways. But it doesn't just say that we are to obey some of the commands that God gives. And there are some here today that are not loving Jesus to the point of transformation. You're not loving your Lord with your heart, mind, and strength. There are some of you who are not loving the people around you, the fellow brothers and sisters within this fellowship. You're not laying down your lives for your friends, as Jesus said. And there are some here who are not loving their neighbors to the point of action. We saw a testimony of a life change today in Amy. 
because she was willing to love her neighbors of Haiti to the point that she got on a plane and went and ministered to them. And it changed her life. I want to close with this. And I know we've got to get done with, with our time. But I want us to go to a time of prayer. And we don't do this very often, but I'm going to ask people to come forward. And I want people to pray for those three things. I want a group of people over here that be willing to pray that we as a church would love Jesus to the point of transformation. That we would show the people that walk into this place through our worship and through our ministry and through our acts of service and through our tongue that we love Jesus to the point that we want Him to change our lives. I want some people here that be willing to pray for this church that we as a body, we've got a big vote coming up. And this vote could be a vote that could break the unity of the church. That's what votes do. Some people vote yes, some people vote no. And we need to pray that God would impact our hearts and minds, not that the vote goes through or doesn't go through, but that we would be unified. And I'm going to ask a group of people just to come and to pray as individuals right here for the unity of our church, that we would love one another. And over here, I would ask that some people with a heart and passion for the world around them would pray that we as Village Bible Church, as people who have been loved by God, would love our neighbors. And I'm just going to take a couple minutes, so I'm going to ask you to get out of your seats quickly. I'm not asking everybody to do it, but if you are led to pray in that way, for those who love Jesus to the point of transformation, for us to the point of action, and for our neighbors, um, to us to the point of sacrifice, and our neighbors to the point of action, let us stand and live that life of love by praying for those that we've been called to love. Let's come forward if you are, would like that. And if not, just in an attitude of prayer, bow your heads as we go to a time of prayer this morning.